0: I think a lot of people never really get started because they just overanalyze, you know, some element of it. it's like strength training is, is definitely one of them from a training standpoint. It's like, well, what strength training should I do? Are you doing any? Well, well, no, we'll start just start doing like some ups. Yeah, um, there you go. You know, or basic, <laughs> you know, or basic core, like commit to doing something in that regard deliberately a few times a week and then refine it over time. So whatever it is for you, just get started. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli. On the other side of the mic for this one, as usual, is Morning Shakeout sponsorship director and, I mean, really, my right-hand man, Chris Douglas. Chris, welcome back to the Morning Shakeout podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. Happy New Year and all that stuff to everyone listening. It's going to be a great year for the Morning Shakeout.
0: How how late into January can you go with Happy New Year? We're having this conversation, like, yeah. late January, like, like in the 20s, like 27th today as we're talking?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I, I kind of go by the rules like, hey, it's the first time I'm seeing you and it isn't February yet. I'm saying Happy New Year. So I figure I'm not seeing like the, you know, 14,000 listeners <laughs> that are going to get to this. So, yeah, but I think like you have January is a month when you can do it, I think. What do you think?
0: Yeah, January for sure. And I mean, I did that the first, I think, two episodes of the podcast this year where I welcomed everyone. With a Happy New Year. Now we're so late into the month, and I've done it twice. Yeah, so it just feels it feels like not only too late, but a little bit redundant. But regardless, we're we're glad that you're here. Um, we thank yeah. you for listening. This is the first and last Ask Mario Anything episode of 2022, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Fear fear not. Uh, it's not completely going away, but it is going to take a new form. But before we get to that and we thank our sponsors for this episode i also think this is the first ask mario anything podcast where you're not coming off of a swim run event i mean i think we were like three for three or four for four on the last few but where are you right now in late january like what does your training focus look like at this time of year
1: yeah i mean that's a good question so um always happy to talk about swim run obviously uh our our next race is in march at um it's going to be an attila race which is a big swedish con- it's like the iron man of swim run in, on catalina island that's uh one of the first races that we did um but it got canceled because of covid two years in a row and yes yeah, supposedly you know hopefully it's happening uh in march and yeah so we're just training for that it's a super hard race about um I think it's almost 40K total with about five miles of swimming and a lot of climbing on the running. Um, in a beautiful, be- beautiful setting, islands it is just amazing and you really get to see the wild, <laughs> wild part of it. Um, and swimming in that ocean is just
0: really great. Yeah, there are a lot of big ups and downs on Catalina Island. I think mostly oh, yeah. fire roads, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. but long climbs, long descents. And aren't there like buffalo or something out mm-hmm. there? Yeah, the there's a,
1: there's wild bison all over the course. Bison. Yeah,
0: that is oh, that is crazy though. That'll, that'll be a super cool experience. Maybe I'll have to bring you back just for a you know <laughs> the the usual morning <laughs> shakeout. You know. Chris Douglas, Low Tide Boys, uh, Swim Run Race Recap sometime in March. Maybe we'll make it a special for uh, sure. Patreon members. Um, I don't know. But it's always fun to get on the mics with you and to answer listener questions. But before we get to those, a couple things we need to cover. First, I'd like to thank the sponsors that make this episode possible first one is longtime sponsor of the morning shakeout both of these brands are actually longtime sponsors of the morning shakeout now i think they've been been sponsoring the show for at least half of its existence and the first one is new balance and they've been a great partner they make incredible product my entire suite of running shoes is new balance and i have different ones that i use for different type of runs which i can talk about here in a second. But probably the one that I use the most for many of my miles is the Fresh Foam 1080 V11. And prior to that, I wore the V10s. I think I've probably had six, seven pairs over the last couple of years. And I know in 2021, I put over 2,000 miles on that shoe. And it's really a workhorse. It's a go-to for me for a lot of my long runs, most of my aerobic miles. And it's just super comfortable on my feet. But you finally finally yeah. got your feet into a pair here recently. And I'd love to just get your thoughts on them.
1: Oh, it's funny, because we were joking around uh, about it last year. And I was telling you that, you know, the, the the 1080 V11 is the official the official shoe of the Morning Shakeout podcast. And uh, I finally got to put some miles on them. I put about, uh, I think, 100 miles or so in them at this point. And yeah, I mean, they're amazing shoes. I mean, out of the box, they don't look to be as responsive as as they are, and super comfortable. You can put some tempo in them. You can just do a, a chill, um, you know, zone two run. Yeah, super versatile. I'm loving them. Um, I'm sure I'm going to be getting another pair as soon as these start wearing out. Uh, yeah, they're great. They're great. I was pleasantly surprised.
0: Yeah, not just because you were hyping them up. <laughs> well, I'm glad you finally gave them a shot. I mean, there is like quite a bit of cushion underfoot, but not so much that they feel unstable. They actually feel yeah. quite nimble for as much cushion and foam as they, they pack under the forefoot. And that really gives you this nice – and it is a responsive ride. I mean, the Fresh Foam mm-hmm. X is, is a very responsive foam – and I don't feel like I'm I'm sacrificing the protection that I want for a shoe that I'm putting a lot of miles in, but I also don't feel like I'm I'm running on a big pile of mush and it's just absorbing yeah. like every single stride. Like I'm getting some good energy return from the ground and it's got a pretty lightweight like pliable upper that will fit a wide variety of foot types. I have a pretty wide foot, but I can wear a standard width in that shoe and it doesn't feel mm-hmm. super... Constricting, So I'm going to continue hammering away the miles on the 1080 V11. The V12 is going to come out later this year. It's not available yet. But if you're looking for a workhorse trainer, you cannot go wrong with the Fresh Foam 1080 V11. Check it out at your local running specialty store or on newbalance.com.
1: 100%.
0: I've got a few other shoes that I run in with regularity that I'll go over pretty quickly here The 1080 is the shoe that I put most of my miles on. But I also have a pair of the Fresh Foam – no, excuse me, Fuel Cell Rebel V2, different foam compound, and – This is a lighter weight, lower to the ground shoe that still offers a a good amount of protection for how light it is, but it is much more responsive, gives you more of a ground feel than the 1080, and that is my go-to for speed workouts. Whether I'm on the track, I'm doing a fartlek, even a tempo run, I wear that 99% of the time. I'll talk about the shoe that I I run in the other 1% of the time when I do (laughs) those, those workouts, but It has a highly responsive fuel cell foam in it, which feels really, really good. I mean, you put the shoe on your foot and it's like a slipper. I mean, it feels amazing. And it's pretty durable, too. I mean, I've gotten probably 300 miles out of my last couple of pairs, and and I'm pretty hard on my shoes, even though I'm not a very big guy, but I kind of run like I run hard in them. Um, So I'm really, you know, I'm really putting a lot of, of force in them, but they hold up super well. I like how flexible they are so there's no plate in this shoe um new balance does have a carbon fiber plated racer which i'll talk about here in a second and i'll wear that for a workout here and there but not with any regularity i like to have a shoe that allows my foot to really fully engage and the fuel cell rebel v2 is that shoe for me and it was probably i didn't put the most miles on it last year but it was probably my favorite shoe of last year just so so fun to run in so um I'll encourage you, like I did last time. I mean, you needed to run <laughs> in the 1080. You need to run in the fuel cell rebel V2 for some of your faster workouts. Like when you and Chipper go to the track, you should go to the track more and, you know, make that the shoe that's on your foot. I'll uh, I'll, I'll definitely do that. <laughs> last two I I want to mention are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. I think I'll stay with like the the faster version first and that is their racer and that's the fuel cell rc elite v2 now this has a carbon fiber plate in it so you can't really bend the shoe but that does add to its responsiveness so you do get a lot of good energy return from the ground it has that same fuel cell foam that the rebel has but you're not engaging your foot quite as much. And that's okay in small doses, I believe. I think a lot of people kind of overuse these highly cushioned, highly responsive super shoes. And I really only pull those those out for a key workout here and there, especially when I'm training for a longer race, and then just race day. I save them for that. I mean, one, they're going to last longer that way. But two, I don't think you want to be doing too many miles in that type of shoe. Because you aren't engaging quite as much of your foot and lower legs, uh, and I, I think that gets problematic when you're you're not doing that. I mean, yes, they feel great; they are super fast. People like seeing the fast splits on their on their Strava page, but you kind of got to let that go and just save them for the big days. So that's another one for me that. I go to, not as often, but when I want to go fast, when I'm going to go hard, when I'm going to race, that's a shoe that's on my foot. And then the last one is on the opposite end of the spectrum, and it is called the More. And I believe it's V2 of the More. And this is a highly cushioned trainer, and I wear it for recovery days every week. So if I've done a hard session on a Wednesday, which is typical for me, um, or on a Friday, I'll wear that on Thursday or Saturday. And I just feel like I can go on autopilot. I go in cruise control. I don't have to think about, you know, what I'm I'm doing. Um, And I I just like, I just cruise and it's really forgiving. Um, I think it helps to speed up the recovery process. I'm usually feeling a little more beat up after those hard sessions. And that is like the shoe that, you know, I pull out of my, my figurative golf bag when I'm just going nice and easy and slow. So that is that is my quiver of shoes that I wear from New Balance Most of them should be available at your local Run Specialty store. I encourage you to support your local Run Specialty shop whenever you can. But if you can't find them there, um, you're pressed for time or whatever, check out newbalance.com. They're all there. They come in men's and women's sizes. Um, They've got a great lineup of shoes. I'm excited to be partnering with New Balance again here in 2022. And I'm looking forward to the updates to all of the shoes that I just mentioned later on this year.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty stable quiver you got there. So Got all the bases covered.
0: Yeah, it's it's worked well for me these last couple of years, and I'm excited to keep it rolling here in 2022. Who uh, else do we have sponsoring this week's episode of the show?
1: Well, we have Gooder, who's been, you know, as you mentioned before, they've been a sponsor for, I think, almost two years at this point, and, and we love having them on. Uh, they're actually going to be sponsoring every version of this show sweet, uh, throughout the year, uh, just like New Balance is. And, and yeah, I mean, I... Everybody, everybody's already heard your, your your spiel on Gooder. They're cheap, they're good. They, you know, they make your face look good. They protect your eyes. And I think, uh, you know, for for this year, and I, I've I've been joking with with you about this sort of off air how I feel like your your Gooder style is is, is very classic. And I kind of want to I want to I want to <laughs> get something a little bit funkier uh, on your on your face. So 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 I'm, I'm thinking we should just let we should let the fans let us know what, uh, you know, if there's a if there's a style that you think might look good on Mario or, or colorways that you think you should try.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll humor you <laughs> and let listeners of the show let us know via Twitter, Instagram, we're at the AM shakeout. You can send us a note and let us know what you'd like to see on my Facebook. I'm an OG guy. I mean, and that is their their classic style. If I'm being honest, I'm a little self-conscious about how I look in sunglasses, but that's why I like the OGs. They're a classic style. You can't go wrong with them. They come in a wide variety of colors, and I do have different colors. I have a ginger's soul, which is essentially black on black. I have Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble, which is a black frame with like blue lenses. Mm-hmm. I can't remember off the top of my head that the name of this color and they do have funky color names but they're white frames with blue lenses so i have a a bunch of different ones that i rotate through i think i've got like a gray pair with a brighter frame and i'm colorblind so i don't even know what color they are but sure i'm open to suggestions (laughs) if you'd like to see a different style and or color combo on my face let us know on social media at the am shakeout and i'll give it a go but i love these sunglasses i mean they look great they're very affordable. They're polarized to protect your eyes. You can wear them running. I wear them in the car. I wear them when I'm just out walking on a sunny day here in California. So they're very, very versatile. Stoked to be partnering with Gooder again this year. If you go to goodercom slash Mario, that's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Mario, you can see my favorite uh, OG picks. There are a bunch of other ones there too, so you can check them out for yourself. And if you use the code Mario15 at checkout, that's mario one five, you'll save 15% off your order of gooder sunglasses. I love it. What are your favorite style and color of gooders? Well,
1: <laughs> yeah, well I'm I'm definitely a little bit more loud on on all this stuff. Lately I've been um uh I really like the the pride ones. I don't, I, I don't remember the names cuz the names are so ridiculous. They're they're almost like too funny to just remember them all, but um uh, they're like the purple ones with uh with with uh, sort of like the rainbow flag, like running through the front. Those those are great. I think they discontinued them, but I've I busted those out. They're sort of purple with rainbow colors and purple lenses. They're
0: they're great. I think loud is the right adjective to describe <laughs> you, Chris in general. So that doesn't surprise me at all. And again, I, I couldn't tell you what colors they are because I am red, green, colorblind, which is a whole nother story for a different day. I, sh- I struggle to differentiate between different shades of, of various colors, but uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. So check them out for yourself. That's gooder.com slash Mario. And then when you check out Mario five, and you will save 15% off your next order. Awesome. Should we, uh, should we get into some listener questions here? I think we have one more announcement that we need to get to oh. and tell our listeners why this is the first and last That's, Ask oh, Mario yeah, Anything episode of 2022. When, I should note, at the end of 2021, we did say this was going to become a monthly installment. And it still is. It's just going to take a slightly different form.
1: Yeah, it's actually very exciting. I, I love this idea and I think it's 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 just so great. So why don't you tell everyone what uh, what's coming down?
0: So starting next month, so February 2022, the last podcast episode of the month throughout the rest of the year is going to be myself and Dene Dormy, who is the host of the Grounded Podcast. Check it out if you haven't already. I had her on my show last year, I was on her show. Last year, we're going to do a monthly crosscast episode. It'll have an ask me anything type of element to it at the end where listeners can submit questions to either one of us, both of us, and we'll answer them. But Danae, who's become like a little sister to me, I've been mentoring her as she's gotten her show off the ground, um, is, I mean, she's incredible. She's a great podcast host. She is, like me, a huge just running and track and field dork she grew up with the sport her dad ran at Colorado he was a coach for a long time in the New Mexico high school system she's been around the sport forever so every month we are going to talk about just what's been going on in the sport maybe some notable races that happened recently or will be upcoming we'll go over some of that stuff but then just greater issues that are happening in running not necessarily on the professional side of the sport but that you know, could be something that we talk about, but just trends that we're seeing, you know, in the industry, in our communities, um, across the country, around the world. And just, we come at it from very different perspectives. I'm a white guy who lives in the Bay Area. Danae is a native woman who lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico and I I mean we just we have a good rapport we get along really well um, we respect one another greatly and I'm super excited to do this with her on a monthly basis and then at the end of those episodes we will open it up for listener questions so you can still submit them to me at Mario at the morning shakeout dot com uh through our social media at the am shakeout or you can go to danae's social feeds uh, whether it's her own personal ones on instagram or the grounded podcast and submit questions that way but i'm super excited that's going to kick off next month uh last week of february i don't have the date right in front of me and we are going to do that monthly through the end of the year
1: yeah, that's great. I mean, I love that you're bringing, you know, new voices into the podcast and get the female perspective and, you know, an indigenous perspective. It's great. I love it.
0: Should we get into the listener questions now? Let's do it.
1: All right. So, so the first qu- these questions are great, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not going to say great question to all of them because they all are. So just, just take that. But uh, hey, Mario, not sure if this has been asked before, but has there been a guest Who's had a difficult time opening up, or maybe just answered the questions you asked and didn't add anything else? And on the opposite end of the spectrum, has there been a guest who could have kept talking for way longer? (laughs) One more: (laughs) Have you ever not published the pod that you recorded? Thanks for the response. This is Laura S from Nashua, New Hampshire, close to uh, close to your old stomping ground there.
0: That is close to my old stomping ground. I've run many a road race actually in and around Nashua, New Hampshire. Laura, that's a great question. I don't think I've ever gotten that one before. I may need you, Chris, to remind me of the different parts of it, but I'm going to start with the last part because it is freshest in my mind. I have never not published a recorded episode of the podcast. So every conversation that I've had for the morning shakeout that I've recorded has been published. I know there are some other shows and hosts who, for various reasons, have either held on to an episode or ultimately decided not to publish it, but I have published every single conversation that I have had for the podcast. There was one episode that I held on to for a long time, and I wasn't sure if I was going to publish it. And I ultimately did maybe like, I think it was six months later, four months later is a long time after I had recorded it. And I don't know what number it was off the top of my head. But it was a conversation that i had with Knox robinson and Knox is a friend of mine he's someone that i actually know fairly well and i've had him on the podcast before we've run together he's come to my house when he's been through the bay area and we had this conversation i remember recording it remotely at night and it was later than I typically record. So I I think I was pretty tired and just like mentally sort of tapped out. He was at his in-law's house in Southern California sitting in the garage in his car because his baby daughter was sleeping and his wife's family was inside. So he wasn't super comfortable either. We ended up talking for like an hour and a half. And a lot of the stuff we talked about was uncomfortable because he was describing – his experience as a black man in running and some of the various challenges that he's had to encounter. And I just remember just never feeling comfortable at any point of that conversation, which is like, that's not a reason to not publish it. Um, But I didn't feel like I was at my best. And I always listen back to every episode before John does his magic editing work and all of that and take notes on it. And it even took me a number of months just to listen back to that episode. And then when I finally listened back to it, and I think it's good that I gave it some space, I was like, oh, it it was actually a really good conversation. And maybe I was being a bit too hard on myself or too self-conscious or whatever about, you know, my role in that conversation and how I showed up that day. And ultimately, I decided to publish it and it got A great response so that's the closest that I've ever come to not publishing an episode and it wasn't because of the guest it was more me and just how I felt about it and and how I felt during that conversation um what was the first part of the question no
1: worries no worries worries. yeah so the first part is if you ever had a guest where it's kind of like pulling teeth to get them to answer questions and on the other end is there one that you just couldn't get a word in edgewise because they're
0: going on and on I've had a couple conversations that were just a little more challenging than others. I've had a number of people, and this is something I'm really proud of, who made their first ever podcast appearance on The Morning Shakeout. I mean, most recently, Luis Grijalva, who is a professional runner for Hoka Multiple Time All-American at Northern Arizona University and Olympian for Guatemala it was his first podcast, we connected and we ended up having, I think like a 97 minute conversation. And like other people who've been in that position where it's their first podcast, the first, I don't know, like 15, 20 minutes can be a little rough for lack of a better term. Like they're just not comfortable yet. We're getting comfortable with one another. We'd never met before, never really spoken before. But once we get over that initial hump, if we get over that initial hump, which more often than not, we end up doing, ends up being a great conversation, especially if you can find some common ground and connection points with that person. But I've had two that are coming to mind right now, where I never felt like I connected with the guest. And the first one was with Kellen Taylor of Northern Arizona Elite. Kellen's an incredible woman. She is a mom. She is in training to be a firefighter and she's an incredible runner. And I can't remember if that was her first podcast. Maybe it was one of her first podcasts. She's got a very shy personality in general. We weren't in the same room, which I think makes a difference. So we were just, you know, talking over the internet as, as strangers. And it was a good conversation, but I just never felt like I was able to really sort of get through and get her to go deeper on the topics that we were discussing. The other one that was very similar to that was Ellie Purrier, who is the American record holder in the mile Olympian in the 1500 meters, um, new balance athlete. I don't know if it was an age difference. I mean, she's in her mid twenties. I'm in my late thirties, uh, she was at a training camp when we were talking, but I just never felt like I connected with her. And it's hard to really put into words like what what that connection is or when it happens, but you know it when it happens. You feel it when it happens. And I never felt that in either one of those conversations. And I don't have this information right in front of me, but I also think those were two of the shortest conversations. Now, I think short conversations can be great conversations, especially if you have a time limit that you need to stick to. But I think both of those were right around like 40 minutes. And my shows tend to be at least an hour, usually, you know, upwards of an hour and a half. And in some cases, like recently with Below to Azmer, I'm like over two hours. Um, but those two were on the shorter side. And it wasn't because of time constraints necessarily. I just didn't really know where else to go in either of those conversations. And they're both incredible women. I hope to have an opportunity to speak with both of them again. But the first time out uh, was just a little, you know, a little rough.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you know what, I think uh, they're, they're not all going to be awesome. And honestly, when you listen to the, the final product, usually it's it's hard to tell. But that's thanks for the question, Laura. Uh,
0: I think there's one more part to that.
1: Oh, right, right. Yeah. The other end of the spectrum, if there was someone who uh, just could, you could have just kept talking for way longer.
0: Yeah, I've had a few of those. I've had more of those than the former, which I feel really fortunate to say. Recently, a conversation I had with Belota asmaram for episode 190 of the podcast, that one is very fresh in my mind. It just took place a couple of weeks ago. We were in person, which is a completely different dynamic than when you're recording remotely. But Belota and I just connected. And I had no idea that we'd even been talking for two hours and that could easily have gone another two hours. I'm convinced of it. Wow. Uh, and I'll just have to have them back for a round two. I've had a number of guests where we either ran out of time or it was getting late in the day, or we were both just fatigued from talking for like an hour and a half to two hours, because to be engaged in a conversation for that long as the host or the guest, guest is is very like cognitively and emotionally demanding especially the types of conversations that that I like to have but I've had a number of guests where I've said to them I'll need you to come back for a round 2 and they've been completely open to it another one is with Frank Gagliano that was back in 2000 18. He was 82 at the time. So I think he's 85 now. We're still in touch. Uh, We recorded that one in person. I feel like if I were to do a round two with him, it would have to be in person. So next time I go to New York, maybe I'll sit down with him again. But I mean, that was another one that I think was like an hour and a half and it easily could have gone, you know, another hour and a half. Um, Mike Rouse is one that was long i think that was over two hours could have gone on another two hours keith kelly same boat Uh, magdalena boulet who i i will have on again sometime this year i promise you if you're listening to this she was pretty early days i think the first year that i had the podcast and i recorded that one in person with her at her office at goo headquarters over in the east bay and i think we only had an hour maybe we went 75 minutes i can't remember exactly how long that one was but i mean we like barely scratched the surface of her story and then i've had a few guests on a few times already who i'll probably have on again shalane flanagan des linden brad stolberg and i mean there's no shortage of things to talk about with any of those folks
1: i love it i love it yeah um there's there's always so much to talk to about especially the way I think that these conversations develop there's you know there's just a wealth of information to share and it can be hard to to nip it in the bud sometimes Yep um the next question is from Scott B he's asking should the running community be more skeptical of the incredible performances of Kipchoge uh, he's obviously as a little bit of background. He's obviously, uh, Scott thinks he's an incredibly talented man and very well could be the best marathoner ever to run the race. However, he feels that anyone who brings up potential doping is considered a heretic of the sport. I don't believe he dopes, but when anyone does something so unprecedented, should we just be a little skeptical given the history of cheating and endurance sports? I think of Lance Armstrong's years in cycling when he was untouchable and everyone in the cycling world kept this, his well-known doping a secret. What do you think?
0: Ooh, we're getting into the the nitty nitty gritty. I would say infections. I I think
1: I think ch- ch- uh, from my view, Kipchoge is like a running monk, and his mental preparation and everything. Like I just don't see why it would be sort of an affront to his beliefs to to dope. In my opinion,
0: I like this question, and I'm not afraid to tackle it. The short answer is yes. Sadly you should be skeptical of not just Kipchoge's performances, but any breakthrough performance that you see in the sport today. And here's where I'm coming from with that answer. It's not to say anything about the athlete themselves or have immediate reason to be suspicious of them or their connections, but the sport over the last few decades has not done itself any favors in that regard there are a number of top athletes who are seemingly upstanding people who have made for one reason or another questionable decisions in their past and have gotten caught and have had to pay consequences for that in regard to a lot of the kenyan ethiopian moroccan You know, Mm -hmm. foreign athletes. I mean, it's well known that there are doping problems that are somewhat widespread in a lot of those countries. Doesn't mean everyone's doing it, but they are widespread there. And there also is not nearly as much out of competition testing because it's expensive to do. And a lot of these places are are hard to get to. And there are people who are taking advantage of that. I think there's just as much happening here in the U S. So I'm not trying to be uh, you know, a complete Homer in, in that regard. I mean, look <laughs> what just happened with Shelby Houlihan. I mean, I loved watching Shelby Houlihan compete over the last few years. I was in awe of her performances, but, in my opinion, it's clear based on the evidence that came out that she either made a questionable decision and got caught for that or was sabotaged in some way. I don't buy the burrito story, but I'm not saying she couldn't have been sabotaged in another way. But, I mean, she got in trouble for breaking the rules, and that's, that's hard to see. I mean, and that plants another seed of doubt. All of that being said— If you are going to be a fan of the sport, and I would like to continue being a fan of the sport, I think you have to believe that there are people who are putting up eye-popping performances that are doing it right, like a Kipchoge, even like a Shelby Houlihan until she got popped. Um, You you have to. I mean, if not, then you're just going to be completely cynical all the time. I think there's a difference between being cynical and being skeptical. And I think you can be a fan of the sport, but still be skeptical. And that's hard. I mean, it's hard to like watch an incredible marathon performance or someone run insanely fast on the track, break a world record and say, you know and and one be excited like on one hand be excited about it on the other hand you know just not really be excited about it cuz you just you just don't know like the sport hasn't done itself any favors in that way um you know all of that being said i mean there are other factors at at play here um we are at a point in the sport's history where technology is finally making rapid advances uh Footwear, for sure, most widely mm-hmm. talked about, first in the marathon, now on the track. You can't discount that. I mean, the shoes are faster. They help you recover better. There's zero doubt about that at this point. We look back to the Olympics this summer in Tokyo. The track is faster than any other track in history. I mean, that's documented. That's going to make a real difference. I mean, looking at you know what was good 10 years ago and what's good now, is is completely different, and you know if you strip doping out of it, I mean, I think some of that is a result of doping. There are other factors such as footwear, such as surfaces on the track, nutrition, uh, and recovery that have made big differences. Now to bring this all back to Elliot Kipchoge, I'm not completely ducking the question here. I, like you, personally believe that he is a clean athlete. I have to. Otherwise, it's going to be hard for me to be a fan of the sport. Now, I look at Elliot and I look at also who he surrounds himself with. His coach, Patrick Sang, has been with him throughout the entirety of his competitive career. He has a huge training group based out of Cap de Gat, none of which that I'm aware of have been suspected of. Doping or doing nefarious things. So he keeps himself in good company. I look at the life that he's lived, which is not identical to all Kenyans. Some Kenyans have had similar upbringings to him, but I look at the life he lived growing up. I look at his values, or at least what's been portrayed through the media. And I think he's a stand up guy who works very hard, who is incredibly focused on being the best marathoner that he can be every time he laces up his shoes. And he's just been consistent throughout his career. I mean, you know, everyone knows Elliot Kipchoge now. I mean, when he started racing marathons, especially when he was winning pretty much all of them, uh, with the exception of, I think, his second one, and then London, what, two years ago, and maybe there's one other one in there that he lost at one point. Um, I mean, I I mean, that's when people started to becoming, that's when the general running population started becoming more aware of Kipchoge because the marathon mm-hmm. is the most visible event in running. And here you have a guy who's winning them all and just running fast. And I mean, to be fair, with the exception of Olympic games, he's pretty much only run on very fast courses. Like he likes to go quick and it's not necessarily about competing. But if if you are a, longtime fan of track and field and running like I am, you remember back in the early 2000s when Elliot Kipchoge was racing on the track uh, at the Olympic Games, at the World Championships, was already one of the best in the world as a junior, was an incredible cross-country runner, was running fast 5,000, 10,000 meters on the track. And I would argue, maxed out his potential at the shorter distances before he really started moving up with some focus. Like everything about the trajectory of his career and development, when I look at it, makes sense to me. And oftentimes, when we learn that people have been busted for doping, there are big jumps where. You know, oh, they were here and then all of a sudden, like without any real explanation, you know, they were in another stratosphere. That's definitely not the case with Elliot Kipchoge. So looking at him as a specific case, no, I, I don't believe that he has done anything illegal or nefarious over the course of his career. Am I Am I skeptical? Yeah, I think there's always going to be like a, a little bit of skepticism there, but that that goes for anyone. I don't think there's a performance I've seen today where I'm like, I'm not like on some level skeptical of it, but then I've got to step back and be like, okay, like, what do I like, what do I really believe, you know, as a fan, as a fan, you know, I believe that he's doing things the right way and is an example for many to follow. I love it. I love it. Um, now I apologize for- if that was a long rambling stream of consciousness type of answer, but it made sense in my head as I was trying to spit it out
1: that's that's what people are here for mario they want to they want to hear your stream of consciousness uh responses um now for a bunch of training questions the first one comes from rachel r she asked pretty straightforward what are the best practices for drills and when should it be between the warm-up jog and workout before any running at all how often is it paired with easy runs anything else so lots take that any way you want (laughs)
0: I love this question because (laughs) drills in particular are something that I've been evolving my thinking around over the past year or two. And there's a, a great coach that unless you're pretty embedded in the sport, don't really know about because he's pretty under the radar, but has worked with a number of top athletes and coaches, not only in track and field, but across a wide array of sports. And his name is Dan Paff. And... He is involved with an organization called Altus, which is mostly focused on sprinters and like big ball sport athletes who go and do their off-season training there. But Dan is the man, and there are a number of coaches in track and field who have learned a lot of their own methodology from Dan Paff. And I subscribe to a newsletter that he puts out on a weekly basis, and he put one out not that long ago, about drills that really got me to rethink things. And one of the things that he wrote in there was that a lot of coaches, visiting coaches who come to their facilities and see the way that they operate, the first question they ask is, why don't you do more drills? Why are you not focused on doing drills? And Dan, over like 40 plus years of coaching where he's landed, and this made sense to me as soon as he started explaining it. He said, if it's not transferable, then we don't do it. So Mm -hmm. we're not just doing drills for the sake of doing drills. Uh, If we're going to do drills, there has to be a direct transfer to something. And I was like, huh, that makes sense. I get it. So why why do we do drills? Or when do we do drills should be the first question. A lot of athletes and coaches prescribe drills, and I'm certainly guilty of this, after an easy run. Like, let's go run easy for 40 minutes, then we'll do a basic set of high knees, butt kicks, uh, karaoke, I mean, all the usual drills you would see, skips of various sorts, strides, and then we go home. Well, how is that transferable? Um, what is it what purpose is, is it serving? And his point is you're not really getting much out of it. But if you do drills as part of your warm up or as an activation exercise before you go out and run or do your main workout, then that is transferable. Um it serves as a dynamic warm up. It kind of primes the right muscle groups for the work that is to follow. And that's kind of where I've come around to. It's like, if I'm going to have drills in my athletes programs, which I do, it needs to be transferable. So we're doing them as part of our warm up before speed sessions. Um, that, in my experience, is transferable. You are waking up your body. You are priming yourself neuromuscularly for the strides that are to follow and then the workout. After that, like that is that is directly transferable, but just doing drills because they are going to help improve your running form. Dan says that that is just a bunch of BS. And when you really think about it, you're like, yeah, I think that's a bunch of BS. If you're just doing drills and then you're not going out to like run afterward, um, you're not transferring that that knowledge that kind of brain body connection anything you're just shutting it off and you're going home so better to do them i think earlier like maybe warm up five minutes just to get some blood flowing do some drills then go out for your run or do your warm-up do your drills then do your workout it's transferable in that way but just doing them you know twice a week after your easy run and then maybe doing some strides afterward you're not really getting a whole lot out of that. I don't know if that makes sense, but the main takeaway there is if you're going to do drills, make sure that they're transferable. And then we're not going to get into this here because I think it's too nuanced of a discussion, thinking about the actual drills that you're doing. I mean, there are some very basic ones and you can make them as complex as you need to, but depending on who you are and what your goals are and what you're trying to transfer that to, like identifying your drills in that way so that they're transferable and you're not just doing them to say i did drills and because i did drills that's going to help improve my form and my mechanics i mean if it's not transferring then you're not really getting much out of them
1: i love it i love it um our next question comes from randy s from dunmore pennsylvania i love it when people write where they're uh, sending their questions from yeah that's um, awesome he has a for context, he's gained entry into the high lonesome 100 come this coming July, which will be his first 100 miler. Good luck with that, Randy. I've been, he says that he's been considering hiring a coach to train for the race, but a lot of the well-known coaches are either taking, aren't taking new clients or just out of his price range. What's your advice for someone looking to hire a coach? who doesn't really have a brand name recognition, for lack of a better phrase. And what things should he be looking for in researching these coaches? Good
0: question. I think the biggest thing to keep in mind when you are looking for a coach is that the coach works for you. You do not work for the coach. Yes, the coach is going to write your training and tell you what workouts to do, but you are hiring them. It's not the other way around. So approach it as if you were hiring someone for a job. Interview them. Come up with a list of questions that you want to talk to them about. Certainly their coaching philosophy, their experience, the type of athletes that they like to work with. You could even throw in those, you know, those annoying interview questions that everyone hates. Tell me about a time that you did, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, But I would, I would think about going into those initial conversations like you are interviewing a a job candidate, because you are, Uh, you want to hire them to help you get where you want to go. And whether you're interviewing someone who has 20 years experience, or, you know, two months experience, that's going to tell you a lot. And experience is important, but it's not everything. And I think you want to certainly make sure the coach is competent and knowledgeable, but also that they're enthusiastic and they want to work with you and that they care to work with you. And, you know, depending on who you're looking at and where they are and what their experience level is and who they've worked with, I mean, the the cost can be like all over the map. I mean, you could, you know, pay a coach 25 bucks a month or I've seen some coaches charge like several thousand dollars a month which um, is a different discussion for another day but go into it like a job interview have key points that you want to talk to them about questions that you want to get their answers to and take your time and compare notes after you've interviewed you know one, been able to narrow it down to maybe three to five coaches, you don't want to overwhelm yourself, but then compare notes kind of across the board and see who aligns best with what it is that you're looking for. The last thing I'll say to this is if the coaches that you want to work with are not affordable, see if they will do a consulting call with you for a flat rate, which should Probably average out to like a month of coaching, but you get, you know, an hour, hour and a half of their time. And you can have them look over what you've done in the past, how you're thinking about training for, in this case, uh, the high lonesome 100 miler, and just get their perspective on your approach. If that's what's important to you, just the actual programming of the workouts and the volume and how you're distributing all of that. Like if you're not someone who needs a coach for feedback or for the relationship aspect of it, you just want someone to write your training because that's where you feel the least competent. Look into different coaches and see if they'll do a consult with you. I mean, that can be money well spent. It's not the recurring cost of monthly coaching for the three, four, five, six months leading up to an event. But it can be a really valuable like hour, hour and a half where you're getting their eyes on your program and you have an opportunity to ask them some very specific questions about the approach that you want to take.
1: I love it. I love it. Um, Our next question comes from Emily C. from, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Paragould, Arkansas. I don't know if I said that right. I apologize to anyone listening from Arkansas. Uh, this is a long question, so so bear with me on this. And I'm going to do it in the first person because it's just easier for this one. She says, I've gone through a few 10K online training programs, VDOT and Final Surge, dropping names. I think all of them have included weekly long runs in the 24, 23, 24, 25K range. In my race, I'll never run one step past 10K. What what is the necessity advantage training benefit of running a 10K plus another 10k plus another 5k in a training run? Does it all fatigue, does all the fatigue experience of that and the time needed to recover from that make me faster? Thank you very much. And then there's a PS that I'm gonna leave off for now so you can answer that first question.
0: <laughs> um Wow, that is a loaded question indeed. Well, there are many roads. To roam. There's no one right way to train for a 10k. It all depends what your goals are, your experience level, and the amount of time you can dedicate to training, your strengths, your weaknesses, all of that stuff. I think for some athletes, there is a benefit to running higher volume and having long runs that are, you know, twice the distance, if not a little bit more, of the target race that you're training for. I mean, we see this at the elite and professional level, even sub-elite level folks who are training for 10k in college, for example, or even you know post-collegiately. I mean, they're generally running pretty high mileage. I mean, they're up around you know 60, 70, 80, sometimes more miles per week with a long run that's in the range of you know 12 to 16 miles. And at that level, and I think for 10k in general, you, you need to be strong aerobically. And one path to that is by running higher volume over a sustained period of time. It's not the only way, especially if you're a lower volume athlete, you're not as experienced, you might be injury prone. Um, I think with the, the 10K, there is benefit to going over the distance. I don't know that you need to go double. I mean, your long run could be eight miles, it could be 10, and that's achieving what you need it to if all the other pieces are in place you're doing the right type of intervals tempo runs hill work to get you closer to whatever your your goal is if your goal is just to finish 10k then obviously you're not going to go longer than 10k in in training because that's that's the goal it's to it's to complete that distance so you know if you do that in training then you know your goal for the race isn't high enough but if you have a performance goal i want to break a certain time or i want to be in the top 5% of my age group, um, with experience, you should be able to run a little bit more volume. One of the elements of that is the, the long run. You can experiment with stretching it out, you know, over, um, a period of time or maybe for a short period of time. But I mean, there's no, just like one right way to train for a 10 K. I don't know if that, fully answers the question but I don't know a whole lot about this specific person's you know goals or training history so it's hard to really give much more specific advice than that but but the the short answer is no you don't necessarily need to go get 22 23 24 25k for your long run but some athletes might benefit from doing that
1: so she she also has a ps which I'm going to paraphrase where she's essentially well if uh, which you already said that that's not a, a fact that you necessarily need to run twice a rage, but she sort of extrapolates that to if you're running a 50K, does that mean you need to run a 125K training run to no. to, to prepare? So it sounds like there is a little bit of, you know, at some point it's just too much, right?
0: Yeah, that's a good PS slash question because I think there is a a mindset out there. I wouldn't call it the prevailing mindset, but it is fairly widespread that, oh, well, if – long run for, you know, 5k is 10 miles and some people are doing, you know, 10k, they're doing 18 miles or whatever. I mean, that would, you know, put a marathoner at 75 or if you, you know, which is, which is absurd. Right. Um, But like, just thinking about like longer distances, like the marathon, you see a lot of training plans that are like, you know, the 20 miler is the big long run. I mean, 20 miles can be a great long run for a marathon, but for some people, 16 might work just fine. Some, it might be 18. Some might need to go longer than that. They go 22, 24, or they take confidence from a 30 and they're an experienced athlete and that, you know, that works for them. So there's there's no one right way to do it. I think as you get beyond that and certainly into the ultra distances, again, like experience and, you know, what you want to get out of the race have to come into play. So like for a 50K, I mean, I've had a lot of first time 50Kers top out at a long run of 20 miles, you know? So that means they still have 11 miles to go, but it's not just about the long run. It's about the accumulation of training. I mean, if you're doing a 20 mile long run at the end of a a heavy week, like that's going to simulate the last like 20 miles of that 50K in in some ways. Um, That's going to have you ready to have a great race on the day. I mean, the most important thing that you can bring to any start line, whether you're racing 5k, 10k, marathon, 50k, 50 mile, 100 mile is a high level of fitness. And there are a number of ways to achieve that. The long run is just one element. It is not always the most important element either. And there's no exact like percentage of your total volume or of the race distance that your long run has to be. I mean, this is a very unsatisfying answer, but it it, it depends. I mean, I've, I've trained people to very successful 100-mile races at the very top of the sport, too. And their longest training run will have been like 30 miles, not even a third of the race distance. I mean, you can run some longer distances as training for, you know, say a hundred mile, whether that's a 50 mile, maybe it's a hundred K and that serves as a, a long run, but you're certainly not going to run 120 miles. I've never had anyone do that anyway for like a hundred mile race. I've never had anyone do like a 75 mile long run for a 50 mile race, but I have focused on trying to get them as fit as possible to keep their training as consistent as possible, to keep them as injury free as possible and and again like that just depends on the individual athlete you know where they're coming from where they want to go and what they're capable of you know handling but no you don't have to feel like you have to you have to go you know well beyond the race distance to have a successful result at you know 10k half marathon marathon 50k whatever it is
1: gotcha gotcha all right, our next question comes from Chris in Nevada, California. I don't know if you saw what I did there. Um, <laughs> I saw I, what you did there. I'm actually pretty curious. So so for for long runs, I mean you, you just mentioned that it's about like staying consistent, injury prevention, all that stuff. What are your thoughts on I know that for ultras, like a lot of coaches sort of split up your long run. Maybe you do like some in the morning or some in the afternoon, or you do like a 20 miler on Saturday, then like a 10 miler on Sunday. What are your thoughts on that
0: approach? I've used that approach for some of the athletes that i work with because i don't see a benefit in giving someone say a six hour long run for a hundred k race if they're so tired after three or four hours that the last half or last two hours are just a complete slog and they're running with terrible form i might split that up and have them do three in the morning three in the afternoon, or have them do four on Saturday, two hours on Sunday, and still get six hours of cumulative running in for the weekend. But because they're able to just run with better form throughout that run, fuel a little bit better, get a little rest in between, like they can actually get more out of it. So I mean, I think there is a benefit to that approach. And one of them is just mechanical. It's just if you can rest a little bit in between, like you're not going to be as sloppy the next day. Um, And some people just aren't ready for the real long stuff yet. And splitting it up into two, like still long, but not crazy long runs, whether they're the same day or, you know, they're weekend back to back, you know, 20 miles, you can get a lot out of that. I mean, I think, as I had said in the previous answer, like cumulative fatigue is something to pay attention to and there are a number of ways to achieve that um and again it depends on the athlete and their experience level i mean some of my more experienced ultra distance athletes i will give them a long single day from time to time and then the next day will be a recovery day or the day before is really easy but at some points of their training we might do like two you know longer but not like crazy long runs back to back if that makes sense
1: gotcha gotcha cool thank you um Our next question comes from Kevin from Lexington, Kentucky. He thanks, Mario, hey Mario, thanks for the countless hours of company and stimulating conversations. I find my own running journey enriched by the conversations you host and the questions you post. Thank you for continuing to bring unique voices to my attention and helping me understand the depths and breadth of the wonderful world of running. Uh, Very nice for you to say that, Kevin. Yes, thanks, Kevin. Now question time, as I approach the big 40, 22nd of May, happy early birthday. Uh, oh,
0: no way. His birthday's two days before mine. I'm going to be oh, 40 on go. May 24th. That's wow. awesome. Wow.
1: You guys, uh, you guys should all try to do some track workouts or something. (laughs) Um, I'm consistently seeking, seeing, excuse me, I'm consistently seeing that I need to integrate more weight training into my running practice. Like most runners, I've struggled to stay regular in my lifting and constantly worrying about it compromising key workouts and races. There's plenty of of advice out there about how to time weight training during regular uh, workout cycle, but I haven't found any good resources for how to integrate weight training
0: into the taper or recovery periods. Any insights on how runners can stay strong? So that's an interesting question. I'm not sure if he's asking specifically about how to incorporate it into the taper and recovery period, or just generally as he's getting older. Should I just take liberty with? My yeah, response? I mean, I, I
1: think I think it sounds like um, you know. Actually, we have a mutual friend, Michael Ozinski, who kind of mm-hmm. specializes in this, which is sort of periodizing your strength training to complement what you what your race and performance yes. goals are. So, so maybe that's probably a good way to kind of look at it.
0: Yeah, I think periodization is really important. And Mikey and I have had many a conversation about this, like how do you periodize your strength training along with your running training? Also, I think for longer distance races, this is a whole nother discussion, but periodizing your nutrition depending on where you are yeah. in a training cycle. For this question, the overarching answer, and I'm pulling this out, out of the, the question, is you just have to commit to it at first. I think just doing some strength training and not paralyzing yourself by being like, is it this program? Is it this program? Like start just doing some basic body weight stuff three times a week and being consistent with that. That's going to go a long way. It's going to help build better body balance. It's going to help you generally get stronger and more mobile. There are a number of different programs that you can follow, which are pretty solid. I mean, look up my, not to just plug my own, but I have 10 basic body weight exercises. Just Google it. You can find it. Um, that if you're doing that two or three times a week, I mean, it's not super specialized, but it's going to be better than not doing anything or wondering what strength training you should do. And then you could While you're doing it, do your research, start talking to coaches, getting a little bit more specific with it. Um, Our mutual friend, Nate Helming, who, when he lived here in the Bay Area, was my strength coach, will still consult with him on workouts from time to time. I mean, he always asks, like, where are you in your training? And when I'm in more of a base building phase and my workouts aren't too specific, I'll lift a little bit heavier. And, you know, we'll focus on building strength in that way. But as my training progresses and I'm getting into faster workouts or my volume, running volume is coming up, he'll dial back that heavy lifting a bit. Things will be a bit more functional. They might even be a little more um, aerobic in their own nature, like the actual strength training workout, just in terms of the amount of weight that I'm lifting, how short the rest is, um, how high my heart rate stays, et cetera. And then we get into, you know, a a taper period and we don't cut it out completely, but it's certainly not stressful. We're not focused on gaining strength. We're really just, you know, maintaining some basic strength, um, as we lead up to a race, pulling back, a bit from all of that, one thing I'm noticing as I get closer to 40, one thing I've talked about with a number of other Masters athletes, one thing you will hear a number of pros or former pros who are getting up there in age talk about, Meb Gaflesky is a good example, is how important having a regular strength training routine is as you get older, especially if you're someone who has been running for half your life or more. I mean, you've done, you know, a bit of damage to your body at that point. I mean, running running will do that, but you start to lose power. You start to lose a bit of elasticity. Um, you know, you start to lose a bit of bone density. Strength training is great for main, certainly maintaining that at a minimum, but also as you get older, like making sure that you are able to still be a strong, robust athlete. So first piece of advice, just get on a routine, get going, start doing some basic body weight stuff uh, that involves more than just running, and then continue to research, maybe consult with some strength coaches and look into periodizing your specific strength training program um, concurrently with whatever your running goals are at a particular time of the year. Totally,
1: totally. Yeah, and you just, I just think you just have to make that habit. Like if you see yourself as, uh, as, if you see, you obviously see yourself as a runner and what runners do, they go for a run. But if you see yourself as a runner and you sort of understand that part of that is taking care of the other things, that involves nutrition, proper sleep and recovery, but strength training is a piece of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are a number of elements of of being a runner that just paralyze people. And, Really, what those people need here is just get started and then figure it out. Like, oh, what watch should I wear? Well, don't don't worry. Just get started. Like, <laughs> whatever watch you have, I mean, use the timer on your phone if that's all you have. I mean, use your clock that's in your kitchen. Uh, See what time it is when you go out and, and come back. Like, just get started, and then you can get better equipment as you go along. But if you don't start, then, you know, why are you going to get a watch? Um, You know, in terms of shoes, like, just get started with what you have and – as you start running consistently more, figure out what's comfortable. You know what you you know what you run best in, what you need for different types of workouts. But I think you know a lot of people never really get started because they just overanalyze. You know some element of it. it's like strength training is, is definitely one of them from a training standpoint. It's like, well, what strength training should I do? Are you doing any? Well, well, no. We'll start just start doing like some pushups. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> you know, or basic, you know, or basic core. Like commit to doing something in that regard deliberately a few times a week and then refine it, you know, over time. So um, whatever it is for you, just get started.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that the last little point on that is it doesn't have to be fancy. I mean, the best workouts in the world are a pull-up, a push-up, a squat, and a deadlift. And you don't need weights for these. And they're they're super boring. You know, they're not like crazy kipping weird things or whatever but
0: those are the ones that that always work you do them consistently enough they make a difference yep
1: yep all right last question okay coming from wilson from chicago the windy city he first he wants to say thank you so much for the weekly newsletter i listen to the podcast but as i as, as often as I can but my podcast queue is out of control so I don't always manage to hear every episode but I really enjoy the AMA episode so I appreciate the honesty Wilson we're not gonna you know ding you for not listening to every single podcast it's tough out there it's a lot of podcasts um his question is about heart rate and how long it takes to improve he's 53 started running a few years ago he's gotten some he's gotten really serious over the last year and is training for his second half marathon awesome awesome um he's been trying to keep his easy run slow and maintain easy effort but it seems like his heart rate gets higher higher than he expected for an easy run curious about how you think um how long it takes to see an improvement. And likely, does he just need to be patient and put in the work? And he looks forward to your input. Sounds like he kind of answered his own question, which kind of have a little bit (laughs) of patience and put in the work. But what do you think?
0: Yeah, uh, Wilson did answer his own question, but I will elaborate on it here in a second. One, thank you uh, for being a listener of at least the AMA episodes, but a loyal subscriber to the newsletter. And good for you to get started running at the age of 53 and get some half marathons under your belt. I personally find that super inspiring and motivating. I know people listening to this do as well. But patience is going to be a big key. And then also understanding that there are a number of different things that can affect your resting heart rate or even your max heart rate on a given day. And Everything from how well you slept the night before to whether or not you're fighting off a sickness to if you're not recovering from some of the training that you're doing and everyone's values are going to be a little bit different. But if you're someone who pays attention to heart rate, step back a bit and look at trends over time and you know, see what may or may not be contributing to an elevated heart rate, you know, first thing in the morning or on your recovery pace, not being quite as low as it needs to be. I'm not someone who gets too hung up on heart rates for easy days. I always tell my athletes, I've said it on this show, easy is a feeling. It's not a number. I don't think it's a heart rate. I don't think it's a pace. I don't think it's a power number. I think you have to ask yourself, like, does this really feel easy? And if you can say yes and still back it off a notch or two, if your goal is recovery for that day, um, that's what you need to be doing. And some days, I mean, again, this depends on the person, that could mean your heart rate's 120. It might mean that it's 140, but I, I wouldn't scrutinize it too, too much. Uh, I mean, I've seen people drive themselves batty with this stuff where they're like, nope, my, my recovery heart rate is 130. And for one reason or another, I mean, they get a step above walking and it's like at 135. And it's like, well, there might be a reason for that, but you can still go for an easy run and have it be higher than, you know, whatever the formula says your, you know, easy heart rate needs to be for that day. So, one, just, Just continue to be patient, um, continue to train consistently, continue to focus on recovering well between your key sessions, especially as you get up there in age. I mean, that's one thing I'm learning as I approach 40, um, but certainly as you get beyond that is more often than not, you're going to need more time to recover from your key workouts than you might have needed 10 15, 20 years ago. So make sure that you're recovering adequately between your key workouts and your long runs, but also just like keep an eye on trends. I mean, obviously if things are, you know, spiking wildly and not consistent, uh, it might be worth consulting with someone who can help you interpret that a little bit better. But if you're noticing, you know, just trends over time where it's like, slightly higher than usual, but then settles. I don't think you have too, too much to worry about, but you're never going to be perfect every day. So just give yourself a little bit of wiggle room in there.
1: Yeah. And like with any training program, you should consult with a physician before engaging in any athletic activity.
0: Yeah. I mean, and as, as that out there, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good advice. And I think especially for, Older athletes, especially if you are new to running, like Wilson said, he is definitely check in with your physician. It might be worth getting your heart looked at. Um, You know that could be something as basic as an EKG, or if you have some family history, getting an echo, just to make sure everything is like okay. Um, That your your wiring is solid and able to handle a training load, and that there's nothing you know under the hood that is not super obvious to you that needs addressing before, you know, you start training hard for these events. So I think that's really good advice, Chris.
1: Yeah, no worries. I also wonder if, uh, you know, maybe there's a some corollary between it being super windy in Chicago when he's running and having his heart rate spike. So who knows?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the factors I, I didn't mention is weather. I mean, weather can definitely affect heart rate, um, especially right now we're in the depths of winter when it's really, really cold. I mean, you know, you're your body's working really hard just to like get to you know homeostasis. In the summer when it's super hot out as it happens to to get in Chicago, I mean Steve Magnus has talked a lot about this on the on coaching podcast. He grew up in Houston, Texas. It's really hot there in the summer. He is a big science geek, so for a while he was monitoring all the different things and I mean he Notice in the summertime like his heart rate was always trending a bit higher but that's because it was always just hot and humid and that was affecting his recovery so weather is another big factor and here we are you know in the depths of winter my sister-in-law lives in chicago so i know how brutal it's been there of late so i mean that could also be you know factoring into why you're trending a little bit higher than you would during more ideal conditions It's
1: a great answer. I think we did it. Those are all the questions for this month, Mario.
0: Well, those are some great questions. Thank you to all of you who submitted them. Again, this is the last what we're calling Ask Mario Anything episode of 2022, but starting next month... I will be doing a show with Danae Dormy. We haven't named it yet, so if you have any suggestions, send them our way, but we'll have a name for that soon. There will be an AMA portion of that show where you can ask myself or Dene or both of us whatever questions that you have about things that we've covered, things that we're doing, podcasting. You can ask me training questions if you want. I'm happy, always happy to answer those. Um, if you're not a member of our Patreon community, I do have a monthly coaches' Corner, which Is only for Patreon members, but we did our first one in January with John Green, who is the coach of Molly Seidel in Atalanta NYC. It was really well received. We covered marathon training. In some good depth, I would say, Chris. You told yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, no, you were it was in, great. In the audience for yeah, that, yeah, it was the really interesting. Been phenomenal. It was
1: super interesting to hear you and John, um, just kind of being a fly on a wall, just really talking about different coaching modalities. And you know, there's so many ways to sort of skin the cat of coaching. And, and to hear you and him kind of bounce ideas back and forth, I think it was really interesting to hear.
0: So I'll be doing that monthly with different coaches from different disciplines. We're going to talk ultra running. We're going to talk master's training in racing. We will talk track coaching. We'll talk about building culture. So that is available to members of our Patreon community. You can check that out at the themorningshakeout.com support. You can join for as little as a buck a week. You'll have access to everything that we're doing for that community. But Thank you all for listening in to this episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Chris, thank you so much for co-hosting. I'm going to miss doing this with you on – well, what was a quarterly basis? Now we're gonna be having kind of a monthly show. But hey, if Danae needs to take a month off for one reason or another, um, yeah, I'll we'll have to coach. Yeah, yeah no I'll worries. have to pull you off the bench no worries. and you know, dust off your dust off your microphone so that you can ask listener questions. But a big thank you also to both New Balance and Gooder for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. At the beginning of the show, I went through my entire suite of shoes, New Balance Fresh Foam ten eighty V eleven. The Fuel Cell Rebel V2, the more Version 2, I believe, and then also the Fuel Cell Elite V2, which is my racer. Check them all out on newbalance.com. Visit your local run specialty store. They should have... Some, if not all, of those models support your run specialty store when you can. Otherwise, you can get them all on newbalance.com. And then also, a big thank you to Gooder, my favorite sunglasses. Uh, As Chris said at the top of the show, if you have some styles and colors that you'd like to see me in, let us know at the AM Shakeout on social media. I'm a big fan of the OGs, but these are very affordable sunglasses. They're great for running, they're great to wear after the run when you're driving. You can See some of my favorites at gooder.com slash Mario. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Mario. Use the code Mario15 at checkout. You'll save 15% off your order, which is really great. Thank you, Gooder and New Balance for being longtime supporters of my work couple more thank yous before we wrap this up. John Summerford is the audio ninja for The Morning Shakeout. He makes every episode of this show sound clear and amazing. He's edited every single one of them from the very beginning. Couldn't do this without John. He is at bearsrecords.com. Check him out if you have any editing needs of your own and have a conversation with them. And then also thank you to Jeff Stern. He handles the AM ShakeOut social media accounts, another key part of this team. He lets all of you know out there when we've got new episodes, stuff that we're doing in the newsletter. If you're not a subscriber to the newsletter, I think you want to get on that. You can check it out at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. been putting it out for a little over six years now. It's pretty popular. I love writing it every week so give it a look and i think that's all i got if you enjoyed this podcast if you're enjoying the morning shakeout podcast go to apple podcast or spotify now you can leave a rating and a review helps new listeners to discover the show it really means a lot to me until next time i'm mario Fraley. that is chris douglas and you have been listening to the morning shakeout podcast